This morning I want to begin with a scenario that is hypothetical. And yet I believe it to be realistic in nature. So just follow along if you would. I want you to imagine a group of kids in a school setting. As you've got this group of school kids or this group of kids in this school setting, here's what you know. They're going to come from all different walks of life. Their backgrounds are going to vary immensely. So I'm going to describe what could possibly be one child, and then I'm going to describe what could possibly be a second child. I know this is a fairly generic approach, but again, I think it works. So here's what could possibly be at least one child in that group setting. The child that is polite, the child that is respectful, the child that is obedient, the child that doesn't cause any problems. They just go to school trying to do what's expected of them, making as good of grades as they possibly can. That would be one possible example or illustration of a child in that group setting. So from here on out throughout the illustration, here is what we will refer to that child as the good kid the good kid. Now, out of that group of kids, this would also be a possibility that you could have a child that was not polite, that was not respectful, that caused problems for the teacher, for the administrator, for whoever the authority figure might be in their life. They're just the child who doesn't quite know how or is not willing to behave and they're just kind of a headache for everyone so from this point forward we will call them the bad child someone says you shouldn't call a child bad well sorry that's what they are they're the bad child in comparison to the good child now as you think about the good child and the bad child that exist in this scenario here is what is probably safe to assume, that they will not be the best of friends. They're not going to be the kids that sit together at the lunch table. They'll not be the kids that hang out with each other at recess out on the playground. They're just not going to really mesh well with each other because one is good, one is bad, one is polite and respectful, the other is not polite, not respectful. There's just not going to be a closeness in that relationship because of the differences that exist. Not only that, this is also possible, though not necessarily a guarantee, but the bad child could become aggressive toward the good child. The child with behavioral issues, the one who's rude and disrespectful, could become very aggressive toward the good child that is polite and respectful, and, and, and so much so that it could drive the good child to go to their parents and say, why doesn't the bad child like me? And why is the bad child treating me, treating me this way? Why is this happening? to which the parents could give many different answers. 
But one of them could be this. The bad child doesn't like you because your actions reveal their bad actions. The bad child doesn't like you because everything that they represent is opposite of what you represent, and they don't like that. So they have to take it out on you. Now, whether or not the good child realizes that or understands it or comprehends it is immaterial. That is very much possible and oftentimes the case. So what would a mom and a dad say to the good child in a situation like that? Again, they could say many things, but one of the things they might convey to the child would be this. As best you can, just ignore them and go about your daily life. Don't talk to them. Don't interact with them. Don't engage with them. Just try to avoid them. And you'll be better off if you can do that. Now, as we think that through and as we give some thought to that illustration, I want us to go back to verse number 5 in 1 John chapter 3. Now, I just want us to see what John said of Christ. And I know we dealt with this, as I said, a couple of weeks ago, but I just want us to look at it again. In verse number 5 of 1 John chapter 3, here's what it says. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So here is John speaking of Christ as he lived on this earth, and he said the reason that he came was for the purpose of taking away our sins. And I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but I do want to touch on this element again. John said of Christ as he walked on this earth that in him there was no sin. Think about the reality of that statement, that in Christ, when he walked on this earth, there was in him no sin. What does that mean? Well, let me remind you of just a few things that I said then. It means this, that Christ never one time said something he should not have said. Christ never had to go back to someone and apologize and say, listen, I shouldn't have said that. I spoke in anger. I spoke too quickly. I spoke in haste. I just shouldn't have said that. No, Christ never had to say that. Why? Because every word that came out of the mouth of Christ was exactly what needed to be spoken. Christ never did anything that he had to apologize for. Christ never had to say, man, I shouldn't have done that. Boy, I wasn't thinking, man, I really messed up on that one. That's not at all how Christ lived this earth or lived on this earth. No, when Christ lived on this earth, in every moment, in every situation, in every circumstance, Christ was without sin. He was perfect. Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I don't mean to sound sacrilegious, but it is fair to say this of Christ, who was God. He was good. So we could, by way of illustration, say it like this. He was the good kid. 
He was the one who didn't do anything wrong. He was the one who everything that he did was proper, in line, as it was supposed to be. So Christ was sinless. Christ was without flaw. Christ was perfect. And he stood in direct opposition or in direct contrast to everything that mankind is. Because mankind is not without sin. So keeping that in mind, turn over to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. And look, if you would, in chapter 15. As you find your way there to John chapter 15, I want us to think about a group of people that existed while Christ walked on this earth. It was a group of people called the Pharisees. You remember them, don't you? The Pharisees by nature and the Pharisees by way of association, they were a very religious group of people. They were ones who were very mindful of the law. They were the ones who were very mindful of everything that it said and taught. And, and, and they even tried to take it many steps past what the law declared. They, they were so worried about righteousness theoretically for everyone else, but not themselves. They demanded more of what they expected of themselves. And, and so as Christ walked on this earth amongst a fallen mankind, Christ was sinless and Christ was perfect. And yet you had some Pharisees who walked on this earth and, and, and they didn't really like Christ. They were kind of like the bad kids. They didn't like Christ. And so there was this friction that existed between them. And Christ was fully aware of it. Now, as you come to John chapter 15, Christ is speaking to his disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Well, it just means to be a follower of Christ or a student of Christ or a learner of Christ. And notice what Christ said in verse number 17 to his disciples. He said, these things I command you that ye love one another. It's kind of the theme that we've been dealing with out of 1 John. So Christ said to his disciples, these things I command you that ye love one another. And notice what he said to them in verse number 18. He said, if, if. Well, what does it mean when the word if is used? It means this, it's at least a possibility. It's not necessarily a guarantee, but this is something that is possible. So Christ speaking to his disciples said this, it is possible the world hate you. It is possible that the world is going to hate you. Now, now what is the world a reference to? Well, the world would be a reference to anyone who is unsaved or ungodly in nature. So, so here is Christ speaking of the world to his disciples, someone who is unsaved or someone who is ungodly in nature, and he says it is at least a possibility that the world is going 
to hate you. So what does it mean to hate? It means to detest. It means to despise. It means to have no use for. So Christ is saying to the disciples, this is at least within the realm of possibility, that there are going to be some in this world who are unsaved, who are ungodly in nature. It is at least possible that they're going to hate you, that they're going to detest you, that they're going to despise you, that they will have no use for you. But Christ went on to say this, Ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Christ says, you understand this, don't you, disciples? Though the world may hate you, it hated me first. Now, there were many, most likely, that hated Christ, but the predominant group, again, were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, constantly trying to trip Christ up. But why did the, the, the Pharisees especially, why did they hate Christ as much as they did. They hated him because Christ constantly revealed their hypocrisies and who they were by way of their character, by way of their, their status, who they were as individuals and as a group. The Pharisees were not godly. The Pharisees were not God-fearing. They were religious, but they were hypocrites. So they hated Christ, and Christ reminds them, and he says, you know this. You understand this. If the world hates you, it hated me first. Now, I don't want to assume too much of the, the disciples, at least not in a negative way, but let's remember some of these men were young, and all of them spiritually were immature. As mature as some of them were, they all still had their moments of immaturity. So here's what I imagine, and here's what I envision, that some of those disciples had to be sitting there thinking to themselves, kind of like the child I mentioned a moment ago, why do they hate us? Or why would they hate us? I mean, if we're just trying to be a follower of Christ, if we're just trying to be a student of, the, of Christ and his teachings, if we're just trying to be a learner of Christ, why would he hate us? Or why would the world hate us? And so notice what Christ said in verse number 19. He said, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own, but because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So Christ is answering any question they may have had in their mind. Here is why the world hates you, because you are not like them. If you would be like them, they would love you and they would accept you and they would welcome you. But because you're not like them, they will hate you. 
Again, it goes back to the illustration of the good child, bad child. Why does the bad child not like me? Because you don't act like them. The only way the bad child would accept the good child is if the good child began acting like the bad child. So Christ is conveying that principle. The only way that you'll get acceptance in the eyes of this world is for you to begin living like the world. The world is going to hate you because you live different than how they live. And again, Christ said, you've got to know this and you've got to understand this. That's how they responded to me first. So as Christ says, love one another. As Christ says, the world is possibly going to hate you. As Christ is saying this to his disciples... Who is one of the disciples? Well, it's John. And as John is hearing this for the very first time, how old would he have been? Well, he would have been a young man, most likely in his 20s. Okay, so John is a young man whenever he hears this, and he needs this life lesson as he is about to really enter into life very soon at some point without Christ. He needs this lesson, and and, and as John goes through his life, no doubt these words ring in his mind and ring in his ears and, and resonates in his heart time and time again. So much so that when John is now an old man, believed to be in his 80s, writing to believers, some of which who are young, Go back to 1 John chapter 3 and let's be reminded of what he said in verse number 11. In 1 John chapter 3 verse number 11, John said, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So what is John emphasizing? He is emphasizing what he heard whenever he was a young man. This is the command that we've been given, and this is the message that we were given from the very beginning, love one another. So so what has been echoing and replaying in the heart and mind of John for all these years is we're still called to love one another. We're still called to love the, the brethren, whomever God would bring into our lives. But in the midst of this emphasis on loving others, Notice what John said in verse number 13. He said, marvel not, my brethren. Marvel not. What does it mean to marvel? It means don't be surprised at this. Don't be shocked at this. Marvel not. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised, my brethren. What? If the world hate you. Marvel not, my brethren. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked if the world hates you. 
You know what John is saying possibly 50 to 60 years down the road in his Christian life? You know what he's saying to other believers who were not yet where he was at in their spiritual lives? You know what he was saying? He was saying this, it is within the realm of possibility. This is something that could happen to you. The world could hate you. The world could despise you. The world could detest you. The world could have no use for you. Why? Because you're just trying to do what is right. You're just trying to live for the Lord. You're just trying to live in obedience to what he has said. And so what John was saying to new Christians or to baby Christians or Christians who needed some help was this. Hey, listen, don't be surprised if not everyone likes you. Don't be surprised if not everyone wants to be your best friend. Don't be surprised if not everyone wants to spend time with you. Just don't be surprised because if they hate you, you've got to know they hated us disciples. And us disciples had to remember this, that if the world hated us, they hated Christ first. So listen, child of God, John says, if the world hates you, you're not experiencing anything that Christ did not experience as he walked on this earth. Amen. Now see, here's what I think. I think some of the believers in their day needed to read that. Because there were probably some people in their day who were just trying to live for the Lord, had some people who didn't like him, and kind of like the good kid, they're saying, well, why don't they like me? I'm just trying to love my brother. I'm just trying to love my neighbor. I'm just trying to do what I'm supposed to do. And John is like the parent saying, listen, little children, that's the way it works. You'll not always be liked when you're trying to do right. Pretty simple message, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it's a very simple message. But I think if we're honest, it's a message that still resonates with us from time to time. Why do I think it resonates with us from time to time? Here's why I think it does. I think most of us like to be liked. I like to be liked. I like people to like me. I like people to accept me. I like people to, to just want to be around me. I prefer to be liked over not being liked. And I think that's the way most of us function. But here is what we're reminded of sometimes, that if we're trying to be the good kid, the bad kids aren't always going to like us. And sometimes it can turn fairly aggressive in their behavior toward us. It's fair to say. You ever just been trying to do right and all of a sudden you became the point of contention in the family? You're, you're just trying to do right. You're not trying to ruffle anyone's feathers. You're not trying to make anyone mad. You're just trying to do right. But, but this family member can't leave you alone because of it. And you've just become their point of contention. And, and, and it's frustrating at times, isn't it? It is if it's ever happened to you. 
sometimes just want to scream, what did I do to you? Leave me alone. Just let me do my thing and you do your thing and we'll be fine. And it's like they can't do that. It's bothersome. It's frustrating. But it really shouldn't surprise us. The world hated the disciples. The world hated Christ. Why would we think we'd be the exception? may not be that family member, but you know this, it could be that co-worker who just decides to turn their attention toward you and they don't like you because everything you stand for, what you stand for, sheds light on who they really are. And so because of where you're at and where they're at, they've just decided they don't like you and they're going to make your life miserable. Why are they doing that? I'm not bothering them. I don't know why they're doing it, but they have decided to. They've, they've chosen to. But let's not be surprised at this. This has been going on for generations. It's been going on for centuries. If they hated Christ, we can't be surprised that they would hate us. Sometimes it could be a fellow church member. Right? Just trying to do right. And while you're trying to do right and just live in obedience to the Word of God, it sheds light on their lack of desire, their lack of concern, and because of, of what you expose in their life, they turn towards you, and, and now you're the subject of mockery, and now you're the subject of scorn, and, and now you're the one who's laughed at, and, and, and it's like, why are they doing this? Well, there's not necessarily a a proper explanation. But that's something the world is capable of doing and that's something that they're willing to do from time to time and we should not be surprised at it. John just said as a, a mature elder saint to some believers who weren't where he was at by way of spiritual maturity, hey, brethren, don't be surprised. Marvel not if every once in a while people hate you. Don't let it shock you. I think sometimes I need the reminder. I think sometimes you need the reminder as we want people to like us, as we want to get along with everyone that we possibly can. I think sometimes we need to remember that Christianity simply creates division sometimes. And the people who are on the other side of Christianity can't stand it. And they have to make life hard for the believer and we can't be surprised at it. We need to accept it. And like a child would be told to just move on and try to ignore them, I need to hear, and sometimes you need to hear, just move on and try to ignore them. Don't let this run your day. Don't let this run your week. Don't let this run your life. Don't let them have this much control over you. Just move on and accept the fact that not everyone likes you, some people hate you, and, and that's just how it is. 
So you might have some people in your life right now who don't like you simply because you're trying to serve the Lord. And maybe, possibly, just maybe, you've spent way too much time trying to figure out why it's so, and you've spent too much time trying to make everything right when you just need to stop and leave it alone. It's just the way it works sometimes. So I want to give us that challenge I want to give us that reminder that living the Christian life will not always make us popular. It will not always make us loved. People will not always accept us, plain and simple. But the second question that I want us to consider, and it'll be very quick, but a second question I want us to consider is this. Does anyone hate you? So what do you mean, does anyone hate me? I mean this, are there any ungodly people? Are there any unsaved people who don't have much use for you? I'm not saying that you ought to be able to sit here this morning and say, oh yes, this person doesn't like me and this person can't stand me because I confronted them and I addressed this and I was bold here. I'm not saying that we should have a long list of everyone that we've made mad over the course of our lives But I think we ought to question sometimes if the world always likes us, are we doing this thing called Christianity right? I mean, think about this. They hated Christ, who was sinless. They turned on the disciples, the world did, and all of them were martyred. If everyone loves us and sings our praises and talks about how great we are, shouldn't it at least send up a red flag saying something might not be right? Because if they hated him, we ought to expect that there would be some who hate us. Not because we're obnoxious, not because we're just offensive in nature, but because we're just trying to do right. Let's marvel not, brethren, if the world hate us. But let's ask ourselves, are we living in such a way that the world would even desire to hate us? Or do we live so much like them, we wouldn't even get their attention. They wouldn't even consider us a threat to how they live. It's something we ought to think about. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer.